on uh, Saturday, Saturday morning, I was, um, I took the work that I had done on the message for this morning and I deleted it. I, I purposely deleted it. Yeah, they laughed last service. said, that's not funny, but I deleted it um, on purpose. It's not that it was wrong. I, truly, it wasn't. This is just an introduction. I worked in an outline. Um, I was actually grateful for the progress that I, I had made in, in, in a study as we pick up our study through Ruth. Um, it had been an unusually busy week. I, I deleted it because of the Friday that I experienced. So uh, Friday morning began... Uh, I was doing some final preparation for a memorial and a graveside service. George, down here for your dad, Jorge. And it's good to see your family here this morning. Y'all, thanks for being here with us today. Um, really a sweet time uh, of grief and, and, and celebration. Um, while I was doing the memorial, I got a call and uh, it was one of those double calls from someone in the body. And, and I knew, well, they call me twice, call me twice, so they probably need to get me. So when I had an opportunity, I, I, I was able to, to catch up. It was a call from Don and Kathy Lazus. Some of you know Don and Kathy. Um, uh, it was seven years ago that uh, they lost their son, Donnie, automobile accident. Well, Don was calling me that morning to say that um, their daughter, Laura, had, uh, had a baby in January, Lainey May, and she died Saturday morning, the daughter, Lainey May. So two months old, a little baby girl. Um, so I went from the funeral to Don and Kathy's house where uh, Don and Kathy are, Laura, of course, um, and the siblings that are there. Um, and I can tell you, um, the grief that is sitting upon that family in these moments is unbearable. And then later that afternoon, this is all on Friday, so then that afternoon, Lisa and I got in the car and I drove to Pleasant View, Tennessee, where I, I had the great honor of officiating a, a, a wedding that happened yesterday, but I went up there for the rehearsal dinner and do you know that evening was absolute joy. How about that for a day? Now I share this with you and, and because on one, on the one hand, because George is a part of the family, George and Margaret and their kids, and uh, Don and Kathy, uh, Laura, they're, they're the sibling, you know, part of our family. And so, when one hurts, we all hurt. When one grieves, we all grieve. And when one rejoices, even as Emily and uh, Ryan, as they did their wedding, um, so that's in part why I share. And I'm going to pray in a moment for, for for these things. But it's also a vivid reminder to me, you all, that when we as we make our way through the book of Ruth and we speak of God's providence, um, it is a providence that holds, you'll recall this, our losses and our hallelujahs. It, it holds them. And, you know, I just want you to know, I don't, and Rob, I speak for Rob, we're not teaching through this book or any book and, and we come upon a doctrine like providence and we're not trying to, we can't, we can't speak of it in a theological vacuum. What happens when, what happens when, Providence meets, meets the events of that day and days you all are experiencing. What, what happens then? How do you answer, what? God's most holy and wise and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures. You know, what, what do we do there? And I'm just telling you as one of, you know, as one of your teaching pastors, I struggle. I don't, I don't have this locked down 
to say God's works of providence are, are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions, that's to put God squarely in the center of it all. We can't, we can't run away from that. It's to say God's in control. It's what his providence would tell us and it's what the scripture would say. I'll tell you the testimony of scripture is that in holiness, wisdom, and power, here's the key, beyond our ability to fully comprehend, God works to preserve and govern all his creatures and all their actions. And the cornerstone, the unshakable reality of his goodness to us in his providence is his son, Jesus Christ, who lived the life we couldn't, who died the death we all deserved, who was buried and rose from the grave and lives today and all who put their trust in Jesus. Your sins are forgiven, you're clothed in his righteousness and you are with, in a relationship with God forever. That, that's, that is the tangible, clearest expression of his hesed, his unceasing kindness that we run to over and over. And it's the testimony of scripture from beginning to the end that God has worked all things toward the end that Christ himself would be magnified and glorified far beyond all we can ask or even imagine. And, in, and that in him, in Christ, we can walk through these days and we can walk through these things and we can walk through this world fallen and broken as it is. A couple of weeks ago, I, I talked about um, providence and that there's this sense of proximate and ultimate. Another way to think about it is there's the temporal and then there's the eternal. And listen, in this life, the proximate works of providence and, pro and life in its proximity that's right in front of us, it, it hurts. Things happen. Loss and pain, evil, injustice. Yes, proximate. But there is an ultimate. And the ultimate is that which we are going toward. And that is ours in Christ. When there will come a day, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. But y'all, it's not today. It's not. And it's not gonna be any day between now until you die or Jesus comes back. So the proximate can weigh so heavily. And yet, what about this? The proximate is also this, a dadgum rehearsal dinner that was pure joy. Yes, it's all there. And God rules and God reigns and God is in control. I wanna invite you to pray with me. And uh, I'm gonna I wanna encourage you to pray for Don and Kathy, Lazarus and, and uh, Laura. Uh, mom, the, the, their daughter that uh, lost uh, Lainey May. And I wanna pray for them and, and ask you to continue to pray for them in these weeks. I was texting with Don this morning. You know, I'm just sharing this because this is our church family. I know in a big church, it can feel like so distant. I don't expect y'all to know them per se, but the circle around them does. But Don uh, texted me and I said, are you okay if we, I wanna pray for this. You know, are you okay? He said, absolutely. He said, it's really dark over here. I can't even begin to fathom how dark it is in that home right now. And they need our prayers. And so I invite you to pray. Father, we come before you and we pray for Don and Kathy. We pray for Laura in the weight of this loss in which, as Laura said to me on, 
On Friday, how do you go forward? How do you go forward? How do you wake up another day? How do we, but by your grace, by your provision, your kindness, your spirit at work in us, we pray for them, Lord, we pray that you would guard their minds and hearts in Christ Jesus, that when hopelessness settles like a mighty weight in a dark cloud, that the hope of the gospel and the truth of Christ and your love toward us would would not be extinguished. In fact, as I'm saying that, it won't be extinguished. It can't be extinguished. And so I pray they would see it. They would sense it and feel it. They would know their church families around them and for them. We just sang, oh God, who makes the mountains melt, come wrestle us and win. Indeed, Lord, we cannot comprehend the mystery of your providence. By your spirit, we invite you to to wrestle us. And God, you win. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for your prayers. With that, I'm gonna invite you to take your Ruth booklet We've got a study we're working through, the book of Ruth. You're gonna turn to Ruth chapter two. We're in verses eight to 17 this morning. What an amazing story. Um, Again, Rob and I keep encouraging everyone to read the story, read through the story. Um, It'll be so much when we start taking apart the particulars. Um, May I say this by way of context, Ruth Ruth is a very hard story. And the first chapter is a decade of loss that takes us and lands us with three childless widows. There's Ruth chapter one. You talk about hardship and questions, famine and death and loss. Uh, Orpah, one of the young widows, goes back home. Ruth, her sister, makes a pledge to Naomi that you know, we said often was used, has been used in the past in wedding ceremonies, but it's this commitment of faith. And it's that I will go wherever you go. I will, wherever you die, I will die. Your God will be my God. Phenomenal picture of biblical faith, trust in God. And so she binds herself to Naomi. They make a trip back. You know, they left Bethlehem to Moab. Now they go back to Bethlehem. Uh, And we get to chapter two. Now, let me say this about chapter two. It's three conversations. It's really hard to break up to figure out how to teach, but it's, it's these conversations and they just flow, but we just decided, let's just take the three conversations, you know, and try and try and teach them that way. So last week, Rob took the first conversation, which is verses one through seven, and that's between Boaz and his supervisor. So Ruth and Naomi have come back to the, to Bethlehem, they're, they're gleaning. I'll talk about that in a moment. And, and Boaz has a conversation with his supervisor. And then in uh, verses eight to 17, it's another conversation and it's primarily Boaz and Ruth. So that's the one we're covering today, okay? And then there's a third conversation. It's for next week, but it's the last few verses of chapter two. And that is Ruth running home to Naomi and telling about this 
unbelievable debt. You're not going to believe what happened to me today. It's that. And so that'll be next week. So this morning, we're in Ruth chapter 2. Excuse me, we're in verses 8 to 17. Rob, as he walked us through the first few verses last week, brought us, showed us that Ruth is back in, Ruth and Naomi are back in Bethlehem. Uh, they're, they're, they're gleaning uh, there in uh, Bethlehem. When, when it says that they were, they were gleaning or that, that Ruth was gleaning, a, a reminder that to glean in the field is after the field had been harvested, the gleaners, the poor, the sojourners would be able to go through the field and pick up scraps. And uh, as Joe and team have put this up here, it's getting bigger week by week, but just imagine a barley field and you can imagine a, a big field of barley, say, and just imagine a big field with this stuff all up and it's just covering, you know, 40, 50 acres. Um, you, can't, you can't see it, but different people own different parts of the field. So that's why you read some of the clues in there. And he was in, in, in Boaz's field. Well, there's no markers. Now the farmers knew whose was what. You better not cross over, but there's like no fence, you know, that says, this is mine, that's yours. So the, the barley harvest is the first to come in. The men would come and cut the barley. It would go down, they would cut the barley. And then there would be women workers that work for Boaz that would come and gather up all this stuff, wrap it up in a sheave, get a bunch of sheaves, right? And then stack the sheaves. So that's, that's, that's what's happening, okay, in the, in the story. Uh, Ruth is gleaning in the fields. We pick up the conversation. He, Boaz comes, greets the workers, and he says, who's this, who's this young girl? And he says, well, this is uh, Naomi, or this is Ruth, uh, the Moabite, came back with Naomi. And listen, she asked to do this. She's been working. She hadn't even take, she's just taking one break, and she's been working. Now we pick up the story. So follow along in your Bibles or your booklets. Conversation between Boaz and Ruth. Verse eight, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some of the bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. 
Now, I'm gonna do something different with the text this morning. Rather than teaching, you know, I teach, in a, I teach from a manuscript. Normally, I manuscript a message. Um, I, I, I'm doing something different. I've done this before. Uh, I hope it proves helpful to you. We're, we're gonna do a little Bible study together and you're gonna get a little peek into my process on how I prepare a message. Now, when I prepare a message, I'll generally print out the passage and I'll have that one sheet usually printed out with a passage. I'll make notes on it. And I just do this for a week, you know, so I'm just reading, 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 adding, adding. And then I'm, of course, I'm reading commentaries, making notes to myself. So I'll have a, I'll have a stack of notes to myself that's probably 15 to 20 pages of, you know, I've written notes and then this little sheet of paper with the passage. Now, all I'm gonna do this morning, and, and this is where I, I told someone last service, I said, man, I don't remember what I said last service, but I got to do it again. So I got to think of what did I say? Cause I'm just, I'm just gonna talk to you as we walk through this. Uh, we're gonna do what's, what, what's really basic Bible study, which would be when we, when we read our Bibles and we do Bible study, it's observation, interpretation and application. Observation is just what, what's here? What do I see? What are the words? What do I notice? What are the questions? You just observe the text. Interpretation would be, what does it mean? And application would be, how do I apply it and how do I live it? Observation is the funnest part of reading your Bible. Just observing, just seeing and, and keeping on digging and staying with it long enough till you see what you didn't see last time and now you see it this time. So we're gonna spend a little time in that. So with that, what Joe has done is we've, we've carved up uh, my, my message, my sheet that I use when I'm just looking at a passage and you're gonna see on the center screen, the whole thing. Don't try and take notes on this. This is gonna be so hard to take notes. Let's just think and talk. But you're gonna see this is the sheet I use. This is, you know, you can't really read it per se, but there's the passage and, and I'm reading through it and I'm taking notes. Now let me walk us through it. Okay, let's walk us through it just a, a, a passage at a time and, and you'll see this, you'll be able to read this. So here, let's start walking through the text in verses eight and nine. It says, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. Keep close to my young men. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now, the first thing I did, I, I circled, listen. It's like, he, he's very intent here. It's not like you'd look at people and you say, listen. <laughs> but he's like, I, I have something to say that you need to hear me say, Ruth. And he speaks of my daughter. Now, I put up here, he's not thinking romantically. He's thinking fatherly. He's thinking care and provision and, and blessing. I said, he, he, I, I put up here, I think pastorally. Now, why do I say that? Because it, it would be easy to read and some might read this and go, mm -mm, cute girl in the field, Boaz, unmarried, you know, and, and people kind of can do that. And I just want to put, pump the brakes on that and say, it's so easy for us to read this with Western eyes and to look at this and, and, and go, he's, he's kind of hitting on her, whatever. He's not, this is not, this is not what's happening. Um, you know, we think Western, we think this, boy sees girl, boy, she's cute, little flutter. I, I like her, more flutter. I, I, I kind of infatuated, I got, I, I, I'm falling in love. I'm in love with you, will you marry me? You know, that's Western, that's, that's the way we view it. Do you know how they do it in biblical times and even in places today? It's, it doesn't go that way. It goes like this, Joey, this is Sue, you're gonna marry her because we know her family and her family's awesome. I'm being dead serious on this. You know, my mother's Japanese and this still happens, they do that in Japan and other cultures. See, there's a way in which we get it backwards. If you marry, your parents have the best judge of character and you love, and you love, and you love. 
See that? It, 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 we think it's all the romantic side. There's not none of that going on here. In fact, what I'm going to argue, argue is not the right word, but what I want to offer to you is, this gets to the interpretation side, but just let me say it, is that what we see in Boaz is perhaps the most concrete, visible, tangible expression of God's hesed that we see in the whole Old Testament, hesed. It's that very important Hebrew word, steadfast love, covenant faithfulness. I've grown to use this phrase, it was the title of a book, unceasing kindness. So that's what's happening here. We're seeing Boaz show us the unceasing kindness of God. So he says to her, look, I, I also noted here, um, keep close. And I thought, okay, he's really, he's being kind of, talk about fatherly, keep close to my young women. Then he says, and go after them. And, and you think about what, why is he so like stick with them, stay on them. And one of the reasons, of course, I think would be, what did I say earlier? These fields, you can't tell where Boaz's barley ends and Abinadab starts. And so he says, you gotta stay with my girls and I want you to stay close to them so that you don't leave my field. It's the day of judges when everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. And so the context for this story, we can't forget, it's nasty in Israel. And, and if you read the book of Judges, I, I mean this, it's, it's, it almost needs a rating because it's awful what happens, how women are treated, what happens to children, it's, it's terrible. So it's, it's, this is not a safe place. And so he speaks here and I, I put it up here. I said, you know, he's really talking about provision um, and protection for her, stay with them. I told the young men, do not touch you. Isn't that odd? Well, it wasn't odd then. And he made sure that where she went and in those fields, she was not harmed, taken advantage of. Um, let me, let, oh, 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 the last thing I said, don't take time to get water. How about that? How about, how about, and by the way, though you're a foreigner, a Moabite, you don't belong in Israel. You're, you're outside of the covenant community. Look, don't even take, you drink the water that the men carry. Who carried most water in those days? Who? the women. And he says, no, 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 no. You're going to drink what the men carry. That's for you. And, and I just want you to feel in a sense, the hesed love of God mounting like a dadgum waterfall upon this woman. Go on to the next slide, Joe. Oh, wait, go back to that one. Cause I gotta, I gotta hit this. Cause go back to this one. I, I want you to know, I just, I wrote this down later in the week. I said, the field belonged to Boaz. Who did the field belong to in the eyes of Boaz? Y'all, this is so important, isn't it? That, that I'm gonna talk about gleaning in a minute and that principle, but for Boaz, it's not his barley. You get, you, I want you to see that. It's not his. Boaz doesn't go, that's my barley. We give my barley to people that didn't work on it. No, and y'all, may I transfer that over to us? It's, you know, in your giving financially, what do we as those of Christ followers, what do we believe? It's not ours. You don't own any, we don't own anything as Christ followers. It's his. God, what do you want done with your stuff? Oh, it comes much more easily out of our hands, which may I say for you as a community of faith, your hands are so open and they wouldn't be open apart from understanding it's not even mine. It's always God's. When it hits my hand, it can go out. Certainly Boaz is demonstrating that. Now go to the next slide, Joe. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? 
I'm a foreigner. I'm not gonna camp so much on, on um, Ruth here. Just this posture of humility. Now the key here is she says, why have I found favor? That's a key phrase that I'm gonna come back to in a moment. But she's obviously humbled by this, a posture of, of, of humility before him. Go on to the next uh, verse. So that's verse 10. We'll pick up in verse 11. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how, I want you to note this, I circled these, how you left your father and your mother and your native land he, and came to a people that you did not know. Now I circled those because when you, when, when you remember your Bible story, there was someone else who left, who left father and mother and relatives, who left their family and land and went to a place they didn't know. What was his name? Hint, hint, Abraham. Is that an accident? No, see, that's what you get when you just look at the story and you observe, you go, wait. He, he, the, Ruth's being compared to Abraham. The faith of Abraham, wow, that she left family, that she left familiarity. And she went somewhere, she, she went to a land she didn't know. It says, I, I put this note on my notes. I just said, um, I see you. Now here's the reason I put that there is when you think about the story Remember when Naomi says, I came back and I'm empty. And remember who was standing next to her? And I thought, you know, did Naomi really see her? I'm not trying to throw Naomi, did she really see her? Did the women and the people of, of Bethlehem see this Moabite? And listen, y'all, I, I, I get, I'll get emotional thinking about this, but I want, you to, I want you to sense this. Here's this foreign girl and here's this powerful landowner and he says I see you Man, and when he says it's not like again don't think romantically what does he say I know what it cost you to come here it was told to me all these workers around you they don't know I know I know the commitment you made to Naomi and that was not a commitment to a wonderful life that was commitment to an awful life, really, from where you were. I'm, I'm moved myself personally just by the thought of, of Boaz seeing her because you all, as image bearers, do you understand that we, all of us, are made to be seen? I mean, every one of us. Do you, you know what I'm talking about when you feel seen. It's like your soul relaxes. The Hesed of God sees you. And what other people don't know is circling in your heart and mind and troubling and what it's cost you in this life and what you've been through. See, God says, I see you. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take Refuge. When it says the Lord repay a full reward, this is not that Ruth said, I'm binding myself to you, Naomi, because I think God will, I'll get something from God. That's not the picture here. The root of those words is shalom. Uh, Naomi or Ruth has, has, has 
put herself under the wings of God. I'll read a Psalm in a moment, but she's committed herself to Israel's God. Boaz is in fact reaffirming to her, you belong, you belong to God now. That's what he's saying. That's why he says the Lord, it's not me, it's the Lord repay you for the commitment you have made because you've committed yourself to him. Translate that in the modern vernacular. You've put your trust in Christ. The Lord bless you in Christ. That word whole, Pete, that word full reward, it's, it's wholeness, it's peace. The Lord give you rest and wholeness. And he knows only God can do that. Under whose wings you've come to take refuge. It's a beautiful picture. It's throughout the Old Testament. When the psalmist is speaking of God's care and protection, uh, the, uh, you know, multiple psalms, but you'll just, you might ring familiar, Psalm 36, seven, how precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. It's, it's, it's a picture of a, of, a, of a mother bird putting the little birds under her wing to protect and keep. And this is what Ruth has said. Ruth has said, I'm going under his wing. I'm going under the wing of the God of Israel. Let's go to the next slide. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. You've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant. Though I am not one of your servants, kindly. I circled that because that word, you're not gonna believe what that word is. It's the word hesed. It's the same thing that Naomi prayed in verse eight when she says, I pray the Lord shows you kindness. Y'all, we're getting to watch God answer Naomi's prayer. It's happening before our eyes. We'll go to the next slide and I want you to see why I have these other lines on there. And you'll see it up here on this screen. But I have these lines because I want you to note what the writer has done. This is the beauty of his writing or, or hers. We don't know who wrote it. Note it says, why have I... Why have I found favor in your eyes? And I put this, why have I? And note this, she says here, I have found favor, found favor. Your eyes, your eyes. So it's, it's, it's like the, the writer has framed, if, you, if I could say it like this, the writer has framed the hesed love of God with her saying favor, favor. You wanna know what favor looks like? Look right here. Here's the favor of God, his peace, his security, his rest, his wholeness. Does that make sense? And we see, we, we see the writers framed it in such a way. Next slide. And then we go to verse 14 at mealtime. Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her the roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose again to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull some out from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. I, I, I want you to note, it's she ate until she was satisfied. That's one thing. It's one thing to be satisfied, okay? But note where it goes. And she had some left over. It's this picture of fullness to overflowing. The Hesed love of God, what the writer's trying to help us see, the Hesed love of God is beyond enough. It's more than enough. 
It's beyond adequate. It's overflowing abundance. Do you see that? It's just, he's just helping us see this is the unceasing kindness of God. It's, it's Boaz to her showing us God's own hesed to us. Now, he says, I let her glean even among the sheaves. And he says, pull out some from the bundles. So what, stick with me up here. Let her glean among the sheaves. So normally the, the gleaning would be the, they have the corners that they get. I'll talk about it in a minute, but they just go along and pick up scraps. Wherever there are scraps in the field, people, seed was dropped, they get to pick it up. He says, let her glean among the sheaves. What does he mean? Well, remember when the ladies would go back and bind it up and have a sheave and another sheave, they get a big bundle of sheaves and then they go stick it somewhere, you know, like this, like here's a bunch of sheaves, you know, in this big pile. Now you tell me, if I said, whoever can come up here and pick up uh, the most, you know, bits of this, the, the, the stuff that we have on the, on the stage, whoever picks up the most uh, gets a million dollars. Let me ask you something. Would you start looking for bits and pieces over here where Joe carried the sheaves? Would you, where would you wanna, where would you wanna go looking? I'd wanna go in the pile of stuff. And that's what he says. Let her go where it's been stacked. Now, the point I'm making on this is this. That is not according to the law. That's not what the law said. And then he has the right and audacity to say, and by the way, pull out some of the full grain stocks and just set it over there for her to get. Now, why do I say, it? look, again, that is not according to the law. So Boaz, what Boaz is doing is not fulfilling, it's not just that he's fulfilling the law, he's fulfilling the intent of the law. This sounds like a Sermon on the Mount. Hey, you guys, when you, the law in the Old Testament was when you harvest your crops, don't, don't get the corners. Leave the corners. Because the poor need to go through and get that. When you harvest your barley and grain and you get it all to the threshing floor, don't go back out there and pick up all the stuff you left behind. Even says when you harvest grapes, don't go back and re-harvest again. Cause you, you know what? They left grapes on the vine. They missed some of the barley, whatever. And God said, no, 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 no. It, you're, you get one, you're one and done. And whatever's out there is for the poor. And then Boaz comes along and, and goes beyond the intent of the law, which was provide for the poor. Now, I'll say it like this. Boaz decides to give him a feast. I'm not just gonna give him enough to eat. I'm gonna feed him fully. Do you think that Ruth is that? I don't think the story gives us any indication that Ruth would do that. No, no, no. Boaz takes the initiative and passes her more grain than she can eat. You think he didn't know he was doing that? Of course he knew he was doing that. And she ends up with leftovers, right? That next week you'll see she takes back to Naomi. More than enough. What a table for this girl. Uh, last one, I think, or we're getting close to the last ones. Uh, yeah, she gleaned the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. 
It was about an ephah of barley. Let me say this, an ephah would be, we think maybe around 29, 30 pounds. The average daily wage was one to two uh, pounds. She got a lot. They say either two weeks or a month's worth. Look, gleaners, I mean, you can't glean 30 pounds in a day (laughs) unless the favor of God is upon you. And indeed it was. Now, here's what I, 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 I wanna note this, just I don't wanna miss this, she went to work. Why do I write that? Because, because faith and work go hand in hand. You know, she didn't get the leftovers and think, man, if it's coming this easy, I think I'll just stay over here and rest all day. It'll still keep, no. She went right back to what she did. She was faithful to what she was called to do. God blessed her abundantly. Here's where I wrestled with the, the application and interpretation, because I'm gonna go to interpretation application. Uh, this is God's tested heart. In, interpreting, what, what do I think this passage is teaching us? I already said it. I think the interpretation is God's showing us through the story, his hesed love, the nature, character, and extent of his hesed in a very tangible way. But what about God's hesed love? for Laura, Lazarus, for others of you in this room who've buried children, who've suffered injustice. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, when life runs into this, we can't shy away from it and, and try to put niceties over it. So I say it this way. I say this is God's hesed heart. Now I say it two ways. It is true in this life, partially and temporarily, in, in this way, go back to proximate and ultimate. That, and we, you know, it's, it's ours in Christ, but listen, we live in fallen bodies in a fallen world. The world, the flesh, and the devil, enemies of our soul against us. And so in this fallen world, in this fallen life, look, there's times in this world and life when tragedy, hardship, awfulness, it, it, it's in our proximate, okay? It's here, it, it happens. God's hesed heart is always toward us and for us. But we experience not in its fullness yet. We're not, we're not home, y'all. We're not home yet. And so we gotta keep in mind, it's, it's real, it's true. But listen, it's, it's partial and, and it's temporary. But there's coming a day when Christ returns that he will set all things right and the hesed love of God unceasing kindness will be ours in fullness and forever. Unhindered by sin. Revelation, every tear wiped away, no more death, no more dying, no more darkness. Y'all, it's not ours today. But knowing it's ours in Christ. We can live with, the prox- with, with proximate issues in life that hits us, knowing we will get home. God will bring us home. Application. Three things we're gonna do. The first is we're gonna come to the abundance of God's table. So let's take our communion elements Let's take the bread. Let's take the cup. 
We're gonna speak of the hesed of God, his unceasing kindness. It is nowhere more fully expressed in its fullness and finality than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so let's take the bread and the cup in communion. We take these as symbolic elements as what we believe they are, that they represent his body and they represent his blood. And Paul says when we do this, we're actually remembering his life, death, and resurrection and we're proclaiming that he's coming again. Lord Jesus, as we hold the bread in our hand today, we are reminded that you lived the life we couldn't. You died the death we deserved. Your body was broken. We remember and we give thanks that this indeed is an expression of God's works of providence that through your brokenness, Jesus, we would be made whole forever. Receive the bread. Lord Jesus, we hold the cup symbolic of your blood. The Bible says that life is in the blood. This is, this is you pouring out life. You let your life go. It wasn't taken from you. You were separated from the Father so that we would never have to be separated from the Father when we put our trust in you. We also proclaim that you're coming again as we receive this cup and bread. Set all things right. That hesed would be fully and finally and forever experienced. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Receive the cup. Now I'm gonna ask you to stand. Application one, we go to the table. We go to Christ and Christ alone. He is our sufficiency. He is our hope. He is God's ex clearest expression of his works of providence working for our good and his glory. Second application, we will sing of that goodness. We, in the Old Testament, when God wanted them to remember something, you know, it generally had them, he generally had them write a song. How about that? And they would sing the songs of the story of ex the Exodus and redemption and hope. And that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna remind ourselves that God's hesed, his covenant love, steadfast love, his unceasing kindness, it's not just adequate, you all. It is always and forever more than enough.